I'm going to mention a number of scriptures in a moment. And I'm hoping they're going to be able to put them up on the screen. Because I want you to be able to, to see them. You know, I can't remember if I told you this. Um, I probably did, but it doesn't matter because I can't remember whether I did or not. But anyway, <laughs> about the dream I had about two months ago, I never dream. I don't know if that's good or bad, but I just don't dream. But it was unusual. I, it was some kind of building that I was in. Don't know what type of building it was. It didn't necessarily look like a church. And there were people there. But they were in disarray. That's all I know to say. I could say they were jumbled up or whatever, but the word that comes to me, there wasn't any clarity. There was confusion. And there was just disarray. It, 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 it wasn't coming together. And then all of a sudden, I stood up to, to I, I wasn't going to preach. I just stood up and said, unbelief. Unbelief. It's unbelief. And then I woke up. And I got to thinking. Lord, th that's probably one of our biggest problems. Even as your children. It's dealing with unbelief. You know, in Hebrews, there's a verse that says, Beware, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. Well, shortly after that dream, then someone texted me a scripture. And it was John eleven forty. 40. Now, now listen, let me give you the background of this. Because I'm going to talk to you about believing what you believe. Do you really believe what you believe? And how can you know? Uh, Jesus had gotten word that Lazarus was sick and he, he tarried two days and he got there and Lazarus had, was dead and he'd been dead four days. Martha ran out to meet Jesus and said, Lord, if you'd have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And Jesus looked at her and said, Martha, your brother's going to rise again. And she said, well, I know he'll rise again in the resurrection. And then Jesus said, uh, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Martha said, well, I, I believe you're the Christ, the Son of God. Now, Jesus had told Martha that Lazarus was going to rise again. And she said, well, I believe you're the Son of God. Well, then Mary came out and he told her the same thing. She asked, told Jesus the same thing. And then Jesus said, um, well, where have you laid Lazarus? Where have you buried him? They said, Lord, come, come, we'll show you. And then Jesus said, all right, they got there. Now, he knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. He had told, told his disciples when we heard Lazarus was sick, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God. God's going to get glorified in this. And so they got over there, and, and Jesus said, okay, roll away the stone. 
All right, now remember he told Martha that he was going to rise again. She said, Lord, no, 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 no. We can't roll away the stone because he's been dead four days and he smells bad. And I imagine four days of decay, he was smelling bad. And then Jesus right then looked at her and said, Martha, did not I tell you that if you would believe, you will see the glory of God? And it said in that sequence that twice Jesus groaned and troubled in his spirit. And I reason to believe I, I, the reason I believe he groaned and was troubled was he knew the unbelief that was in their hearts. He knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And, 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 and they knew he could. They'd said that if this man had been, he would have never died. But Jesus was groaned and troubled in his spirit because he saw the unbelief in, Mary, in Martha's heart. And man, it's just like God said to me, friend, have I not told you that if you will believe, you will see the glory of God? And that is exactly right. But, you know, there's such a struggle in this matter of believing, of really believing what we believe. Manly Beasley said that faith is knowing, it is believing, and it is acting. You know, you believe, and then you act on what you believe. Now, the question I, I would ask you is this. How much does what you believe affect your daily life? I mean, I mean, how does it affect out when you go to work on Monday or when you're ministering to your kids within your marriage realm? What, how, how does your faith, no, no, put it to, how, do what, how does what you believe really affect your lifestyle? Well, let me, let me put it this way. You say, well, I want you to know, Brother Fred, I believe in forgiveness. Do you walk in forgiveness? You say, well, I believe in love. Let me ask you something. Do you walk in love? You say, well, I believe in kindness. Well, are you kind? You say, well, you know, uh, I believe that Jesus overcame the world, the flesh, and the devil and that in Jesus, you can live a holy life. Well, I want a question. Ask your question. Is Jesus overcoming the world, the flesh, and the devil in your life? And are you living a holy life? You see, belief, genuine New Testament faith results in, in action. It affects our daily life. Let me put it this way. This came to me. If it doesn't translate, if what I believe does not translate into my daily life, it's not real. It's just intellectual. It's just acknowledging a bunch of facts. Uh, let me tell you how you can tell if what you believe is really uh, affecting you in your daily life, and that is this. It says over in Colossians 1.17, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the Father by him. So I got to thinking, do we really have to, don't we struggle with unbelief? Just allowing 
the faith that we have to operate in our daily lives. I came across a, a great saying, and by the way, let me, let me give you a, they don't have this to put up on the screen, but in Romans chapter 4, I think it's verse 24 and 25, let me tell you what it said about Abraham. He staggered not at the promises of God through unbelief, but was convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. And so Abraham had all bad circumstances. They were bad about having Isaac. But he didn't stagger at God's promises through unbelief, but he was strong in faith giving glory to God, believing that what God had promised, God was able to perform. And so I came across some, I've got on my iPad, I'm amazed that I can use an iPad. I got an iPad and I've got Kindle on my iPad. And you know what Kindle is. Uh, It's got, you can get books, you can download books on it. I didn't do it, somebody else did it for me. But I have a number of books by Andrew Murray. And uh, in there, he was talking about, it was really, he was trying to say now, you got to know, you got to know, you got to know that you really believe what you believe. And, and, and so this is what he said. And I, they're going to put it on the uh, uh, screen. All right, I've got it on this piece of paper because I don't want to look at the screen. He said, um, this is the verse he based this on. By the way, you know when he was born? 1828. He's a little older than we were. Died in 1917. But boy, he's alive now by his writings. In 12 languages, his writings are in 12 languages. And he talked about believing what we believe. And the verse that he was thinking about is Colossians 2, 9 and 10. Now listen to it. For in him, Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him. And that Jesus is God in a body, in all of his deity, and you're complete in him. And so uh, this is what Andrew Murray said. Put it on the screen. He said, yes, Lord Jesus, I'm quoting him now. Lord Jesus, you are mine with all your fullness. And he uses the language of that day. Thou art mine. I can say this. Now listen to what he says. Thy blood is mine. It has atoned for all. Yes, for all my sins. Thy righteousness is mine. Yea, thou thyself art all my righteousness, and maketh me ex- and maketh me altogether acceptable to the Father. Thy love is mine. Yes, in its height and depth and width, thy love is mine, O Jesus. It is the habitation in which I abide, and the very air that I breathe. He said, "I breathe the air of your love." He said, "All that you have is mine, Jesus." Do we really believe that? All that Jesus has, that we're complete in him, we're complete in him, and all that he has is ours? He said, 
Thy wisdom is mine. Thy holiness is mine. Thy light is mine. Thy glory is mine. Thy father is mine. He was just confessing how complete he was in Jesus and all that he had in Jesus. And then he he said, you know, in the last paragraph, in the simplicity of faith that depends only on thee, I say, God be praised. Jesus with all his fullness is mine. Boy, that, that, that grabbed me. God be praised. Jesus with all of his fullness is mine. Now, I live in a troubled world, and you live in a troubled world. There, there, there are battles all around us, spiritual battles, mental battles, emotional battles. And as I think it, it said in the song that we're, 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 not, we're, ali- we're aliens in this world. We're strangers and pilgrims. But we've got to understand that in this world, he said, God be praised. In that paragraph at the end, Jesus, with all of his fullness, is mine. How little do I thoroughly enjoy, know, or enjoy this truth. Jesus, with all of his fullness, is mine. Do you really believe that verse? Philippians 4.13. You know, I can do all things through Christ, who is my strength. Well, I can't do, that's just me. That's just my personality. That's just who I am. I I don't think I'll ever be able to overcome that. I'll always be that way. Well, then you don't believe Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, I got to thinking, when he was confessing all that it was his, I said, you know what I want to do? I want to take those things and I want to show what the Bible teaches about them. And I want to see if we really believe them. And if it affects the way we live every day. Folks, it's, it's no good if it don't affect the way we live every day. I mean, I mean it just it's just no good. All right, so, you know, I'm, I'm going to talk today on this. Uh, I want to talk to you. Do you really believe that you're forgiven? Oh, you say, Brother Fred, no, no, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask you something. Do you really believe you're forgiven? He said, thy blood is mine. It is atoned for all my sins. Then next week, I'm going to ask you, do you really believe you're righteous? That you have the righteousness of Jesus Christ? Well, how does it affect your life every day that you live? And do you, do you, do you, uh, but really believe you have the wisdom. He's, he's our wisdom. So let's talk about uh, forgiveness. You know, think about this statement. In Christ, my sins are forgiven and forgotten by God. Now, let me preface this by saying this. Sin is our biggest problem. Did you know that? If you don't get beyond that, you're never going to get anywhere with God. You see, the big, the big, uh, the big separation is S-I-N, sin. If there had been no sin, 
there would have been no virgin birth. If there'd been no sin, there'd been no sinless life. If there'd been no sin, there'd been no sacrifice on the cross. If there'd been no sin, no resurrection from the dead. It would not have been necessary for Jesus to invade this world absolutely laying aside his deity, taking upon humanity, and coming and living on this earth. You see, the big problem, the big problem is sin. That's the problem. Now, but that's why Jesus came. Now, we know that in order to deal with sin, there has to be repentance. First of all, recognizing your sinfulness Realizing that it's against holy God and that your sin has separated you from God. And if you die in your sins, you'll spend eternity in a crisis eternity called hell. So there has to be, for, for you to experience forgiveness, there has to be repentance. And repentance is not just being sorry for your sin. Repentance is not only being sorry, a godly sorrow leads to repentance. It leads to repentance. I've sinned against God, and it leads you to repent. And repent means you change your mind. You change your mind. You change your direction. You don't continue living like you were. In other words, before you repented of sin, you were practicing sin. And now that you've repented of your sins and God has forgiven you, you're no longer practicing sin. You may slip up. But sin is not your lifestyle. Okay, so I'm just saying that once you've repented of your sin and you've turned away from them by the power of God, then I want to talk to you. Do you really believe you're forgiven? In a few moments, we're going to have the Lord's Supper. We're going to come to the Lord's table, which is a holy thing. It's holy. We're going to say, this is his, this bread, this is his body, which was broken for us. Wow. We're going to say, this is his blood, the blood of the new covenant. But let me ask you something. Do you have confidence when you come to the Lord's table that you're forgiven? Do you just know in your heart, hallelujah, my sins are gone. They're washed away. Cast into the depths of the sea, never to be remembered by God again. I'm a forgiven man. I'm a forgiven woman. I'm walking in the forgiveness of a holy God. Why do so many of us live with a cloud of guilt over us? If you've repented, why, why, why do you live with a cloud of guilt? Why do you live in the past? If you're forgiven, why do you live with a cloud of shame? But, oh, Brother Fred, you don't remember what I was. That doesn't matter if you're forgiven. That's over. That's done with. God's forgiven you. It's under the blood of Jesus. But you just can't get beyond it. And so if we really believe that we're forgiven... We won't live under a cloud of guilt, and we won't live under a cloud of shame, and we won't live under a cloud of unworthiness. No. We will live with the assurance that we are forgiven. So the question I would ask you, do you really believe that you're forgiven?
Well, I want to show you about two, th two or three things that you can base your forgiveness on. I remember I've talked about repentance. And you know whether you've repented of your sin or not. You know whether or not you're still practicing sin. Or you, no, you, you know in your heart. But I'm talking about people who've repented. And they truly are forgiven. But somehow you're not living like you're forgiven. It's not translated. You just feel so. All right, here's, uh, here's some scriptures I want you to look at. The reason I can know that I'm forgiven is the perfect, complete, eternal sacrifice of Jesus. In other words, my forgiveness is not based on what I do. It's based on what Jesus did. It's done. It's finished. So I can come to the table of the Lord absolutely confident that I'm forgiven because I know in my heart the perfect, complete sacrifice and atonement Jesus made for my sin. All right, Hebrews chapter 9, verses 12 through 14. Now, I want you to get this. This is the basis of your forgiveness. And they'll put it on the screen in a moment. Hebrews 9, 12 through 14. Now, now listen to this. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood, Jesus not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place, the heaven, heaven, holy of holies in heaven. Not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once and for all, having obtained eternal redemption. And then he goes on and says, let me get, give you some good news. If the blood of goats and calves and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, flesh now get this how much more shall the blood of christ who through him through the eternal spirit offered himself to god without spot and blemish cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living god he said back in the old testament they sprinkled the altar and everything with the blood of goats and calves but jesus went into the holy of holies in heaven and he sprinkled the, sprinkled the altar in heaven the mercy seat in heaven not with the blood of goats and calves but with his own blood now look, your forgiveness is based on the fact that Jesus went into heaven, sprinkled the mercy seat with his own blood, and paid the full price for your sin. And that never changes. All right, you go on over uh, to Hebrews chapter 10, verses 12 through 14. Now see, the basis of our forgiveness, the reason I know I'm forgiven it's not because I have an emotion, not because of a feeling. It's because I know what the Word of God says, and I know I've done what the Word of God says, okay? And so here it is. In chapter 10, this talking about the sacrifice of Jesus. But this man, Jesus, after he offered one sacrifice for sin forever. Now think about it. No more goats and calves, no more sacrifices, no more altars, no works. No, it's done. This man, after he offered one sacrifice for sin forever, sat down at the right hand of God because it was done. And look at verse 14. For by one offering, by one offering, he perfected forever those that are being sanctified. Listen, when I look at the full and complete and absolutely all-sufficient sacrifice of the Lord Jesus, 
when he died on that cross and shed his blood, sprinkled the mercy seat in heaven with his blood, and once and for all he made the sacrifice and sat down and he perfected forever those who are being sanctified. Look down in um, verse 19 of Hebrews 10. Now get this. Do you have confidence before God? When you pray, do you have confidence before God that he hears you? Uh, When you come to the Lord's table, will you have confidence before God? I'm forgiven. I'm accepted by God. Do you have that confidence? You know, as you live your day, your life before God every day, are you living it with confidence and assurance? Praise God, I'm forgiven. I'm forgiven. It's done. My sins are gone. The blood of Christ has prevailed. Verse 19, listen to what it says. Therefore, brothers, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. Let me ask you a question. God is holy, holy, holy. Man, I'm telling you, they couldn't even get close to the mountain. God is holy, holy, holy. And we were sinners by nature and sinners by choice. How do people who are sinners by nature and by choice ever get together with the God who is holy, holy, holy? There's only one way, and that is through the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. That is because the mercy seat in heaven is sprinkled with the blood of Christ. And there is where God brings sinful man through the sacrifice of Jesus, and we can be united with a holy God, and we can live before that holy God with confidence and assurance because we are forgiven. We are forgiven, and our sins and iniquities, God remembers no more. Let me tell you something. The blessing, the blessing of being forgiven. Do you know that? Are you living? Hallelujah. I'm forgiven. Listen to what it says in verse 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near by a new and living way which was consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. Verse 21, having a high priest over the house of God. Now here it is. Let's let us draw near to God with a true heart. Full assurance of faith. I'm accepted by God. I'm forgiven by God. I can come into God's presence. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Our heart has been sprinkled with the blood of Jesus from an evil conscience. And our body has been washed with pure water. Listen to me. There's no freedom in this world like knowing that you're forgiven. Changes your whole attitude toward God, your whole relationship toward God, your daily walk with God. You've got confidence. You know, in Ephesians 1.5, it says that Jesus has made us acceptable, in, that we've made acceptable in the beloved. I love uh, 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19. Listen to it. For, for we were redeemed. Listen to this. Not with corruptible things like silver and gold. But we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb 
without spot and blemish. What a price Jesus paid for you to be forgiven. What a price Jesus paid for me to be forgiven. And for us to live without the confident assurance that God has forgiven me and my sins are gone and I never, ever, ever have to give an account of them. Listen, if you don't live that way, you're missing the greatest blessing of being a child of God. You know, the perfect and complete sacrifice. Now, let me just say this. Do you realize just how complete that sacrifice is? And how awesome it is to be completely forgiven. Did you know that our sin was placed on Jesus? Oh, yeah. Every sin you would ever commit was placed on the Son of God. That ought to make you hate sin. To think, here is the spotless Lamb of God. And all of our wickedness and sin, everything we did that was vile and unholy was placed on Jesus. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, He made him to be sin for us. Now get this, Jesus didn't know sin. He cried, my God, why have you forsaken me? i tell you why, Jesus, because you were covered with our sin. You were covered with our sin. My God, why have you forsaken me? It says he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 and 22 says, I love it, it says, 1 Peter 2, 24, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the cross, that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness by whose stripes we are healed. He bore in his own body our sins on the tree. Let me tell you something. You know why Jesus struggled in the Garden of Gethsemane? You know why he sweat, as it were, great drops of blood? You know why he prayed, God, if it be possible? He knew he was going to the cross, but he just knew what that was going to involve. And he said, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus had never known guilt, but he knew when the Father placed on him our sins, he would know what guilt was. Jesus had never been ashamed, but he knew when the Father placed our sin on us, he would be ashamed. He'd never been separated, never for one second in eternity from his Father, but he knew when the Lord placed on him our sin, he would be separated. Listen. For us to live without a confident awareness and absolutely heart full of gratitude and assurance of knowing that we're forgiven is to miss all Jesus Christ has done for us. Oh, the awesomeness of forgiveness. A perfect sacrifice, the sins placed on Jesus. And in Isaiah 53, listen to this. Prophetically, Isaiah said, now, now listen, in verse 5, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. 
All we like sheep had gone astray. But the Lord laid on him. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. And he said, all we like sheep had gone astray. But the Lord, listen at this, laid on him the iniquity of us all. Laid our iniquity on Jesus. You know, the perfect, complete sacrifice. Now here's a... a Here's an absolute amazing truth, but it's, it's true. I'm just telling you. Uh, what God did was he uses the word impute, impute, I-M-P-U-T. It means to charge to your account, to charge to someone's account. And it says that God did not impute our sins to us. Once we came to Christ in repentance, trusting him and him only, God no longer charged our sin to us. He charged it to Jesus. All right? In 2 Corinthians 5, and, and listen to this word. He talks, uses the word impute. In 2 Corinthians 5, in verse 19, now listen to me carefully. God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. Not imputing, not charging their trespasses to them. Did you know once you came to Jesus and repented of your sin, that no longer were your sins charged to you? They were charged to Jesus. Now let me tell you this. Can I tell you why we believe in the security of the believer? Why we believe that once you're really saved, you're always saved. You, you want to know why? Because once you repent of your sins, realizing you're wicked and sinful and separated from God, you repent of your sins, and by the grace of God, you turn from your sins, and you are forgiven. See, then no longer, no longer, no longer is your sin ever charged to you. You say, well, what if a Christian sins? What do you mean, what if a Christian sins? We do sin. That's not our lifestyle. That's not what we practice. We have repented. But if we sin, guess what? That sin is not charged to our account. Jesus already paid for it. He paid for our sins, past, present, and future. He paid for any future sin. So when a Christian sins, that sin is not charged to you. It's charged to Jesus. Because if it was charged to you and you died with it in your heart, you'd go to hell. But it was charged to Jesus. It was put on his account. God did not impute our trust. See, the thing about forgiveness is it's so awesome. It's so total. It's so complete. It's so liberating. It gives us confidence before a holy God. But I want to ask you something. Do you live a life of forgiveness? Do you know, praise God, I don't have to be guilty. I don't have to be ashamed. I am forgiven. My sins are gone. Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. It gives us confidence before God. Having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. 
Well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to close with this. We're going to have the Lord's Supper. Do you know that you are completely forgiven by God? Do you believe that? Does it affect the way you approach God? Does it affect the way you live every day in the presence of God? And when the enemy comes to accuse you, you can answer with confidence, hallelujah, I am forgiven. But what about you did 10 years ago? It's gone forever under the blood of Jesus. Well, what about you did yesterday? It's gone. It's under the blood of Jesus. And so you live a life of confident assurance that you're walking in the forgiveness of God. It is done, it is settled, and that is a gift of God. Well, then you know what that does? It causes us to do three things. It causes us to love God. I tell you, if you know how wonderful your forgiveness is and how complete it is, man, all you can do is just love God. Just love him. I love what 1 John 4, 19 says. We love him because he first loved us. Amazing love, how can it be that you, my king, would die for me? You were forsaken that I might be forgiven. See what happens. And when you know how awesome and wonderful it is to be forgiven and to walk in that forgiveness, it causes you to love God, just to love him. You love him. And you're so thankful for what he did for you. You didn't deserve it. I didn't deserve it. That's what grace is. Grace is he gives us what we don't deserve. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourself. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. But i tell you what else it does. You know, it not only causes you to love Jesus when you know you walk in real forgiveness, but it causes you to be devoted to, to Jesus, devoted to him. And I, I want to translate devotion as that you obey him. You obey him. And you know, you're not obeying Jesus because you have to, but just out of gratitude, out of thankfulness for what he did for us forgiven. Here I was, sinful man. Jesus died and bridged the gap and brought me into fellowship with the Holy God. Man, forever you, you're devoted. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Forgiveness results in obedience. You're my friend, he said, if you do whatever I command you. So walking in a life of forgiveness gives you an assurance uh, that, that, that just causes you to love Jesus. And it just causes you to be devoted to him. And because you love him, you obey him. But I tell you what else it causes you to do. It causes you to serve him. Hey, we don't serve God because we have to. We're not trying to build up brownie points with God. We're trying to do more good. We're not living by, I'm going to do more good than I do bad. Forget it. You know why we serve God? Because he's done so much for us. I'm forgiven. How can I not serve him? My heavens. I'm forgiven. I'm going to spend eternity with him in heaven. Eternity. I mean, I don't deserve heaven. You know, but praise God. Jesus Made the perfect sacrifice. And so, man, 
until I get to heaven, I'm just going to serve him. I serve him by loving others. I serve him by letting his life come through me. But I love what Paul said. You know, people thought Paul was uh, irrational. They thought he was a fanatic. Did you know that? You know what a fanatic is? It's somebody that loves Jesus more than you do. That's a fanatic. Paul said, listen to what he said. The love of Christ. Now listen to him. Man, he went to jail. He was beaten to death about 20 times. They chased him out of town. I mean, he was always on the run. Always, always. The Jews were after him big time. Don't kill him. But he said, let me tell you something. Because he knew he was forgiven. You know how he said? He said, I'm the least of all the apostles. I persecuted the church of God. He said, let me tell you where God brought me from. Let me tell you where God brought me from. You know, in one place in the Bible, it says to whom much is forgiven, they love much. Some people were offended because Mary took that bat, uh, thing of perfume, of, uh, perfume and poured it on the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. But you know why? Because Jesus cast seven demons out of Mary. And she know what it was to be lost, to be bound, to have no hope. And man, when she experienced the forgiveness of God, man, her devotion, her service for Jesus, she just couldn't wait to sit at his feet. But Paul said, the love of Christ compels me. Because I judge that if one died for all, then we were all dead. And that we who live should no longer live for ourselves. But for him who loved us and gave himself for us. The love, Paul said, the love of Christ just compels me. Because he died for me. So I sure can't live for myself. You know, I want to leave this with you. Do you really believe you are completely forgiven by God? And that that forgiveness leads you to a life not of guilt and shame, but a life of thanksgiving and a life of love. And you have confidence before God. Praise God. I am forgiven.